This podcast provides audio versions of live webinars. Please see the episode description for a link to the full presentation. Welcome to Listen In, a bite-sized bio podcast series allowing you to access the best of bite-sized bio webinars wherever you are. Hello, this is Ava Anson welcoming you to this bite-sized bio webinar, which today is sponsored by Eppendorf. Today's presentation is titled Essentials in Centrifugation, Better Safe Than Sorry, and is being presented by Suvis Pillai and Dr. Kerstin Iserman from Eppendorf. Suvis graduated in India in 2012 as a mechanical engineer specializing in material science. After gaining sales experience in advanced materials, he received a Master of Engineering in Technical Management in Germany. He worked as a microscopy application specialist at Olympus, specifically focusing on particle contamination analysis in clean room laboratories, before joining Eppendorf as a product marketing manager for centrifugation in 2021. Kerstin studied biology in Hamburg and earned her doctorate in molecular biology at the Bernard Nocht Institute for Tropical Medicine. She then worked for five years as a postdoc in academic research and education before joining Eppendorf in 2011. She is now an application specialist for the Eppendorf Separation Division. As always, we will have a question and answer session after the presentation. So please type any questions you have into the questions box, which appears on the bottom of your screen, and I'll put them to Suvish and Kerstin at the end. So now over to you, Suvish, for the presentation. Thank you, Eva. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this webinar from my side. So today our topic is Essentials in Centrifugation, and let me guide you the first one with the agenda. So today we will focus on four different topics. So I will start with the introduction of centrifugation, some basics and principle, and then followed by tips and tricks in centrifugation with my colleague, uh, Kirsten. And uh, also we will focus on things good to know before we spin the samples for the next time. And at the end, we will have a poll followed by a Q&A session. So let's begin with the principle of uh, centrifugation. So as you know, centrifugation is everywhere and you can see this around us, like the images illustrated here. Let it be the washing machine, a roller coaster, or the other devices that you see in the slide. I think all of us can agree that centrifugation is everywhere. And also, more importantly, the principle of centrifugation is everywhere. So let's say that now coming to the lab, centrifugation is part of almost in every workflow in the lab. So no matter which specific protocol that you use, every centrifuge works according to the same principle, isn't it? So uh, let's go further into the principles of uh, centrifugation. So what happens normally, uh, the we have the circular rotor and the rotor has a rotational moment. So this rotational moment of the rotor generates a relative centrifugal force, which is basically a multiples of Earth's gravitational force. So this relative centrifugal force allows the separation of particles or the substances in your sample. Uh, this could be based on the density, size, shape, and viscosity of the medium. And this is on a high level, how uh, the centrifugal force is also acting and how the relative centrifugal force is coming into play when it comes to 
the basics of centrifugation. So moving on about the relative centrifugal force itself, because um, at first to start with, so relative centrifugal force, if you encounter in the lab, the term in your protocols RCF, it stands for relative centrifugal force. It is basically measured in the units of gravity or XG, it's, which is the multiples of G-force. Normally in the lab, you might have encountered uh, in your past an interesting question that is always coming in. How are the rotational speed at the relative centrifugal force is related? Because uh, if you see different protocols, it might be RCF or RPM. So how are these really related? But the answer, if you ask, it is very simple. It depends on the rotation speed in RPM and the maximum rotor radius. So as the rotor is uh, circular and the RPM and RCF can be converted by using the following formula as you see in the slide. So it's basically um, the centrifugal force or the RCF is the product of the rotor radius in centimeters normally and the square rotational speed in RPM. So this is multiplied with 1.118 times 10 to the power of minus five. So this relation and the distinction between the RPM and RCF is important for every application as two different rotors, for example, running at a different uh, rotor radii, but at the same rotational speed in RPM will apply different acceleration to the sample. And this can lead to a different result. And this is one of the point which we will also cover during the uh, best practice session today. And we will discuss this topic, how uh, to manage the sample and how to distinguish between RCF and RPM. And uh, speaking of the RCF, so now let's move on to the topic of the centrifuges itself. So as you see in the slide, there are universally different types of centrifuges and models available. So from the left to right, you see the small uh, centrifuge and just a mini spin, which is a micro centrifuge. And we can go up to, for example, a super versatile benchtop centrifuge in the center of the, of the general, general purpose centrifuge and to the extreme right where we can go up to high speed and ultra centrifuges. So there are different options available uh, this is basically because the demands coming from the different workflow and these demands could go up to just from a small 12 place uh, samples to spin, uh, to spin it, or it can go up to, to do a really high end processing, which, is, which could be up to four times 1.5 liter uh, samples or even six times one liter samples. And this is one reason and this is an example how varied the applications can range from a small micro centrifuge to an ultra centrifuge where the speeds will go up to 1 million G-force. And you heard it right, it is 1 million G-force. So um, this is some of the first basics of centrifugation about the RCF and RPM and also the different uh, types of centrifuges available universally. So now let's move to the next chapter, which is the tips and tricks in centrifugation. For this, we have 
pre-recorded uh, video for you to show a live example uh, about the tips and tricks with an interaction. We'd like to provide some tips and tricks in centrifugation. For this, I would like to invite my colleague, Kirsten. Hi, Zawish. Hi, Kirsten. Nice to be with you here today. Pleasure is mine. Uh, Kirsten, I want to ask some um, general questions and uh, to share some tips and tricks from your experience. So for most of us, centrifugation sounds very easy. But do you have any tips from your side before I go to my sample? Yes, centrifugation. I know centrifugation always sounds easy, but centrifugation is more than just taking your samples, put it in any centrifuge and just press start. Um, you have to know your application and you have to know the requirements for your specific application regarding speed, regarding volume, vessel type and of course temperature as well as the rotor type which suits your application best. So there are quite a few things that you can mm. consider to improve your separation results. Yeah and well said it's applications right there are several applications uh, in the world. Yes it's important to consider the requirements for your specific application and let's ha just have a look a more detailed look at some popular applications. Um, of course, there's no such thing as the one and only um, G-force or perfect G-force for an application th that is required uh, for separation. I mean, for example, in biochemistry, cell biology or microbiology applications, the, uh, the required speed can vary between specific sample types or between different protocols or different work steps. So, but I think we can generalize by saying when considering the required centrifugal forces for separation by saying, well, plant and animal cells need less centrifugal force than, for example, clinical samples or bacteria and the required speed increases for biological samples like DNA or RNA up to viruses and uh, cell organelles where forces of several hundred of thousands g are required wow <laughs> and now let's have a look at the centrifuge types that meet the requirements um, the maximum relative uh, g forces that can be achieved by the different centrifuge types increase from small general purpose uh, benchtop centrifuges or so-called clinical <coughs> centrifuges mm -hmm. over micro and multi-purpose benchtop centrifuges over high-speed floor standing centrifuges up to ultra centrifuges which can reach centrifugal forces up to 1 million g. Yeah, ultra centrifuges and one million. Yeah. So when we talk of the different uh, centrifuges, we definitely have to talk about the rotors, the fixed angle and the swing bucket rotor. Yes, yeah, so this is a very important topic, I think. Um, there are two main types of rotors, the fixed angle rotors and the swing bucket rotors. And each of them, of course, has their advantages and disadvantages. Um, let's talk about fixed angle rotors first. They have a fixed angle, like mm. the name uh, um, already says, mostly between 30 and 45 degrees. Um, due to the rigid design, they can withstand high gravitational forces and thus lower centrifugation times can be realized. 
Um, on the other hand, the defined number of boreholes and the shape of the boreholes, of course, limits the vessel flexibility. Um, these rotors are the best choice for, um, for pelleting applications where high mm -hmm. gravitative forces are needed. Um, and are applied to the sample. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, the swing bucket rotors, the buckets of these rotors swing out at a 90 degree angle um, and the, the pellet is located directly at the bottom of the tube. These swing bucket rotors usually can withstand lower g-forces um, than the fixed angle rotors due to the different adapter options available for them but they allow a high vessel flexibility and a high vessel capacity. These rotors are always first choice when doing um, phase, phase separation or gradient centrifugation mm -hmm. applications um, as it allows to uh, separate the phases without disturbance of tube walls and you have um, and of course you have a long uh, separation distance. Mm, so. Okay, so this is interesting to know the difference. So as a summary, with the fixed angle rotors, it is good for palleting applications because of the fixed angle. Yes. And for swing bucket, it is good for density gradient and also the phase separation. Yes, first choice for phase separation and gradient centrifugation and the fixed angle rotors due to the high gravitative forces that mm. can be applied are the first choice, of course, for palleting applications. Okay, so this is super clear. So now let me also um, talk a little bit about um, the vessels because I think next to rotors, we already have the vessels and um, I'm wondering there are different types of vessels here like the bottles, conicals and in different shapes. So what is your tips and tricks for us? Yeah, there's almost an endless number of different um, tube, bottle and uh, plate formats um, which can be centrifuged and which are needed to be put in a centrifuge of course. Um, in order to um, allow the greatest possible flexibility and reduce the sheer amount of adapters that would be needed uh, to centrifuge all these different vessel types, Eppendorf invented the so-called universal adapter. And in these adapters, you can centrifuge different vessel types with only one adapter. Wow, one adapter with all these different consumables yes. and vessels. Let me show you. Amazing. So as you can see here with the universal adapter one, you can spin 15 ml tubes and as well as 5 ml tubes and if the colleague wants to spin deep well plates this is possible as well. We have the universal adapter 2 here which can spin 50 ml tubes as well as PCR plates or microplates. So one adapter for plates and conicals. This is my favorite adapter. It's the universal adapter M3, which is able to spin 50 ml tubes as well as microplates or PCR plates. And when you take this insert out, you can even spin bottles up to 250 ml. When talking about the different adapters, I have to mention one very, very important topic, and that is 
When choosing the adapter, be sure, make sure that you are choosing the adapter that really fits and supports your vessel. For example, if you want to spin 25 ml tubes in a 50 ml conical insert or adapter, you need to support, of course, the bottom of your tube. If you put it in, a, in the insert for a 50 ml conical, the lid can be torn off during, uh, during centrifugation because high forces are applied. We hope you're enjoying this episode of Listen In from Bite Size Bio. To access the visuals of this webinar, please see the episode description for a link to the full presentation. Another example, um, if you are centrifuging bottles with a flat bottom, of course, this is only possible in adapters or buckets with a flat bottom. On the other hand, when centrifuging bottles with a conical bottom, you need to uh, use the, uh, the fitting uh, adapter with a conical bottom, otherwise um, you will use your samples as the bottle will crash uh, during centrifugation. One thing um, that happens from time to time is when you use conical uh, tubes. There are conical tubes that have a conical bottom, of course, and there are conical tubes that have a conical bottom insert, but they are skirted and they can stand. So you cannot use these skirted conicals in a conical adapter, of course, as the skirt will crash during centrifugation and in worst case, it will crash the whole conical and you will lose your precious sample. You mentioned this is your favorite adapter and it also it's mine now because uh, I really like the design and also how we can interchange the two different inserts. It makes life in a lab very easy in a day-to-day -day basis. Yes, and it reduces the amount of adapters needed tremendously. Great. That was a nice uh, tip and tricks, um, Kirsten. Thanks for that. So uh, let's move on to the next section. So in this section, I want to ask some things that is good to know because I think you can share your expertise because you are coming directly from the lab as well. Yes, sure. Being in the lab myself and from former PhD days, I hope I can share some best practices that are of help. Um, okay, so let me start with the first and the most challenging question um, because we received this many times about phase separations. So what are what is your best practice and what are uh, some things that you can share about phase separation uh, yeah. in gradient applications? There are a lot of things um, that you can yeah, that that you have to take care of, of course. Um, let's have an example uh, uh, and look at phase separation with fixed angled or swing bucket rotors. Um, so there are very several very common applications uh, which rely on phase separation. For example, the isolation of mononuclear cells from blood uh, via fecal gradient or the isolation uh, of DNA or RNA uh, via phenol chloroform isolation. Um, and of course, um, there can be there are different practices. It is common practice to use swing bucket rotors for fecal isolation of mononuclear cells. The longer um, path lengths 
enables uh, the formation of defined faces in a horizontal position that remains when tubes are transferred to an upright position. So um, remixing of faces um, is avoided um, and to reduce vibration to a minimum, um, as we can see uh, in the next uh, transition, the centrifuge break is usually set to zero. So if your phase transition is not satisfactory, I would always recommend to check, is the brake really deactivated? Mm. Um, on the other hand, deactivation of the brake, of course, the protocol can take forever. It's a very time-consuming step of that protocol. And um, we have a nice application where we showed in in modern low vibration uh, centrifuges, you can increase the break and set it from zero to one up to three and save up to 30 minutes um, when the deceleration ramp is carefully increased without compromising the results. Mm -hmm. It's always to find the best ratio between phase separation and and uh, end time. So you can you have possible solutions when you when that phase transition is not clearly delineated, check the break, deactivate the break. If the protocol takes much too long, you can carefully adjust the deceleration ramp, especially with the newer, um, with the newer centrifuges, of course. Um, however, um, there are other common phase separation protocols that can be done in fixed angle rotors. As we see on the next slide, for example, um, the isolation of DNA or RNA via trisome, relying on a phenol chloroform um, gradient. It may happen that, um, that the phase separation is not satisfactory and that you, uh, that you see a cloudy interface um, and that problems occur with turbid interfaces and so on. And there you can, you can consider to maybe uh, use a swing bucket rotor. There are swing bucket rotors even um, for smaller sample, uh, sample sizes. So turbid interfaces, uh, not, a, not a very clear phase separation. A possible solution uh, would be to check the break of mm -hmm. course, and to check the rotor suitability. Maybe you're better off in your protocol um, with a swing bucket rotor. Mm, okay, so this is where swing bucket rotor definitely uh, helps. So um, so let's come to the next one for the protocol transfer. And um, But before going there, um, we have a nice video to show the protocol transfer. So Christian, are there any best practices when it comes to protocol transfer? For example, let's imagine there are different centrifuges in the lab, like this one, and how can one do an experiment in different centrifuge and transfer the experiment protocol to different devices? Yeah, that's a nice question. And this is very important. And due to my experience, well, it's not always uh, going smoothly <laughs> in a lab. Are you ready for a competition? I'm always. <laughs> okay, just uh, for our audience to remember, you can, try, you can calculate the relative centrifugal force that is applied to your samples um, when you have the rotor radius, of course, and you have the revolutions per minute. 
So using this formula, we can compare the relative centrifugal force that is applied to the samples with different centrifuges. Mm -hmm. So let's do an experiment. You are using the mini spin and I'm using the 5430R centrifuge. Uh, let's assume that we run our protocol at 14,000 RPM. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm putting my samples in a rotor, which has a radius of 9.5 centimeters. And in my mini spin, the rotor is 6 centimeter. And now we are using this formula that you explained earlier. Um, we are calculating the relative centrifugal force and we will put the revolutions per minute here and then we will insert the value for the rotor radius into that formula and now Sugish, um, my samples spin with 20,800 G. And guess what? My mini spin is spinning at 13,150 G. So do you think that we will have the same results? No, definitely not. And that is exactly <laughs> why uh, the RCF is very important. And also uh, we can see the diameter here, the difference of six centimeter and the 9.5 centimeter. So always let's focus on the RCF or radio centrifugal force. Yeah, if you transfer your protocols between different centrifuges, it really makes sense to, um, to have your protocol in RCF rather than in RPM. This is important that you can really compare the results um, and have always uh, yeah, the same palleting or um, separation efficiency. Great. Due to my experience, unfortunately, this is still not common in every lab. But as a tip, well, always be sure that you have the RCF in your protocols. And this makes life easier and this makes protocol transfer much easier between different centrifuges. Definitely. And this is only the micro centrifuges that we're talking, but the same is also applied also in the multipurpose uh, centrifuges as well. Yes, of course. Okay, coming back from the protocol transfer and uh, the relevance of RCF, my next question is, I think it's common for most of the lab about the best practice about the correct rotor loading. Please. <laughs> well, there's only um, one best practice, always balance, of course. Um, I mean, almost all centrifuges have an automated imbalance detection or imbalance shutoff. Um, and I know from former times that people sometimes tend to, well, I would try if it's okay. And if the centrifuge will imbalance shut off, then I will, um, I will rebalance. But well-balanced uh, well samples still prevent damage to you to rotor and instrument. You, you always have to keep that in mind. And it prolongs the lifetime of your equipment. You, always have to keep in mind that each imbalance um, puts stress onto the motor shaft and rotor pivots. I mean, you can say, well, uh, my sample, uh, the, the or the difference in sample, it's just 0 0.5 grams. Well, you wouldn't feel that if you uh, if you hold uh, if you hold your tubes well 0 0.5 grams it's it's nothing mm -hmm. but if you spin your samples at 20,000 g 
guess what? It's it's a uh, it's the difference of ten kilos. Mm -hmm. And then I put you put your samples in an ultra centrifuge and you spin with five hundred thousand g. Imagine zero point five gram difference will be the equivalent of two hundred fifty kilograms. Mm -hmm. um, and of course that can cause damage to the to the rotor shaft. When you load a swing bucket rotor, as you can see uh, on the pictures in, in, in the slideshow, um, it is important to occupy all rotor positions. Otherwise, the, the rotor arms will bend. Um, the buckets should be of equal weight always <laughs> um, when, when, they, when you are loaded. If the rotor is not loaded completely, always position the vessels within the buckets in a pattern that the rotor pivots are evenly stressed. Um, and of course, make sure <laughs> that the tubes that you are using are really have been specified for your rotor. If you have a look at the swing bug at the pictures with the swing bucket rotor with plates, it doesn't make sense that to load just the upper part of the plate because the rotor won't swing out smoothly. So this is important as well. Um, in fixed angle rotors, of course, you have to ensure that all tubes are directly opposite of each other and they, they are loaded symmetrically. Yeah? For each vessel that you insert, a vessel with equal weight um, has to be added directly opposite of it. Mm. And um, take, take care of balancing um, because the, this will prolong the lifetime of your equipment. Exactly. And a uh, uh, well said question. And um, Coming from the correct rotor loading, I think we can move to the next question. And this is really, really crucial because this question is about what's around us. It is aerosols. And can you tell us a little bit more about aerosols in a lab? Yeah, um, it's an important question. I mean, especially since the start of the corona pandemic, the whole world has been talking about aerosols. Um, there hardly exists a place in the world without aerosols. I mean, may they be of natural or anthropogenic origin. Um, as per definition, they are collodial systems with particles suspended in a gas, which is on our planet usually air, of course. Um, and yeah, that, it can be dust, it can be pollen, it, uh, it can be, of course, from the traffic, from industry. But when we are talking about aerosols in the lab, um, the focus, of course, is on bioaerosols, comprising um, particles of variable origin. Um, so, and although the majority of these aerosols in the lab are harmless, mm -hmm. <laughs> there can be hazardous, hazardous aerosols, of course. Um, especially when you're working with infectious material, um, like uh, microorganisms, viruses, uh, parasites, uh, fungal, fungal spores, mm -hmm. and so on. And as you can see in the next slide, there are worldwide cases of laboratory-inquired infections continue to be reported. And these result from the production and mostly from the inhalation um, of infectious aerosols. Fortunately, not all of these infections um, 
really are symptomatic because as, as laboratory acquired infections, they can be symptomatic or asymptomatic. Mm. But still, um, of course, you want to avoid uh, this. The majority of these laboratory acquired infections are caused by bacteria and they occur in, uh, as well in, cl in clinical as um, in, research, uh, in research field. Oh, okay. This actually sounds scary about yes. the bioresourcing. <laughs> so what I'm just trying to understand, what are the different um, sources? From where are these aerosols coming from the lab? Yeah, let's have a look at the next slide um, where you can see a small choice of laboratory activities um, that can cause aerosols. And most of these activities are done without even thinking about aerosols. I mean, you have a look at your bacterial cultures, um, your pipetting, um, mixing, and so on. There are a lot of sources of aerosols in the lab. And of course, one source is or can be centrifugation. Mm. Um, and therefore, adequate precautions um, have to be taken, of course, when you are working with infectious or harmful uh, substances. Oh, wow. And um, uh, speaking about aerosols, oh, let, let us come to the point like, how does um, uh, Eppendorf help in supporting the uh, aerosols? But I think for this, we can directly uh, go to the our next video. How does Eppendorf help in preventing aerosols in lab? Yeah, Eppendorf offers um, aerosotide rotors and aerosotide caps for the buckets of the uh, bigger centrifuges, of course. Uh, the rotors and the buckets with the caps are certified aerosotide after putting down. Um, we have these aerosotide lids for the fixed angle rotors and they are additionally they are quick lock lids so they can be closed and open with a quarter of a turn. Mm. And for the caps, we have these aerosotide caps and you can close it, transport it with one hand, put it in the centrifuge and then close it. <clears throat> so it's a one-handed operation for our aerosotide caps um, and a quick lock lid for the aerosotide rotors here. Just one click, mm -hmm. you're done and you're on the safe side or the rotors are certified according to port and down. This is interesting because it is not only the aerosol, so now it is also about the ergonomics. So it's very simple to operate, yes. and also with the one-handed operation. It's very simple uh, to operate, and you have very low low forces are required. So, but please always remember: I mean, the rotors are only the second level of protection against aerosols. The first level, of course will be the tube. So never fill your tube up to the rim, of course, as mm. spilling can occur. Be sure that you fill, um, fill your tubes only to the maximum, um, to the maximum volume. So mm. first level um, of, yeah, first safety level is always the tube and then, then comes the rotor. It might happen that because we need to do our experiments faster and we are going to, um, fill our samples completely and we are going to spin. And what happens if we spill the samples after the centrifugation? Yeah, always in a rush. <laughs> I would recommend to clean the rotor immediately afterwards because 
well, I have a nice example here. Um, this is a rotor that has not been taken care of um, a lot. So, um, and heavy corrosion takes place. Mm -hmm. So, anything special that you recognize here? Oh, I see something over there. So, let's give it a try. And it looks like a hole. But can I put this in? Yes, try to. Uh... Okay. Oh, it's, okay. it's really a hole. It's really a hole. So this is an example for heavy corrosion. And this rotor, of course, cannot be used safely. You can throw it directly away. And this can occur if you don't take care of your equipment. Um, this heavy corrosion, of course, is um, well, this should never take place. There shouldn't be any holes in your rotor. We recommend to have a look at your rotors. Um, well, at a, well, yeah, now and then, <laughs> and better one time more than, uh, than one time to less. Exactly. So, yeah, and I, and I really feel this is, this is extreme. Yes, this is it. extreme. But um, remember, in the labs, there's, they, the people are often working with, for example, sodium chloride or so, mm -hmm. and these salts, of course, can corrode the metal of the rotor. Okay, now let's come to the saving part. How do we actually clean the rotor? So are there any kind of best tools? Uh, from the best practice? Yes, of course. And Sugish, I see some metal cleaning stuff here. Please, <laughs> be honest, you don't need these. Never use any metal scrubs mm. or uh, metal brushes on your rotor because you will destroy mm. the surface. We recommend to use um, soft wipes, soft clothes, of course. You can use, um, you can use uh, these uh, sponge. very sponges, very soft sponges to clean the rotor and of course you need to clean the, the bore holes so that this corrosion um, is avoided and we can use these flasks cleaner um, with plastic scrubs, no metal scrubs of mm -hmm. course and be sure that the, t that the tip of the brushes um, are not metal. So you can clean the bore holes and use water and mild mm -hmm. soap um, if you need to disinfect your staff, you can use um, ethanol, 70% ethanol. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, and also looks like we can also use the plastic. Yes, if you, if you have some heavy crustaceans uh, on the rim, you can use a plastic uh, brush or so um, and try to lose these. This is possible, um, but well, when you clean your rotor <laughs> um, after, after the run, I hope it will never come to such heavy uh, mm. corrosion or such heavy, heavy um, frustrations so um, that you're, you're fine with, uh, these, um, with mm. these tools. Yeah, as a summary, I can only think of one statement. So we have to take care of our centrifuge. Only then the centrifuge will take care of us. Yes, Sugish, that was a really nice wording. And because um, maintenance is a very, very important topic, I would like to sum up um, the things we discussed uh, in the video on the slides. Um, I know it sounds annoying, <laughs> but I strongly recommend to clean and dry the chamber after each run. Um, on 
on the photo on the uh, left hand side, you can see uh, a corroded chamber and this can take place if you don't take care of your condensation and if you're losing, if you're centrifuging, of course, um, different stuff with a salt and so. So wipe the chamber um, after each run, especially um, if condensation occurs, if, you, if you're spending at low temperatures. Um, you can use, as uh, we already mentioned, a lint-free lint microfiber uh, cloth. And um, well, when talking about uh, condensation, please leave the centrifuge lid open overnight, mm -hmm. yeah, so mm -hmm. that uh, you avoid uh, that you avoid uh, uh, yeah all the wetness inside the the centrifuge mm -hmm. chamber. Of course, um, it should be it should be a routine to clean the housing as well um, uh, the chamber inside. We talked about that, and of course the rotor shaft. Um, when you do that, use water, use mild soap, um, neutral agents, um, and a soft clothes, and do that on a regularly basis because, well, again, I can only say it prolongs uh, the lifetime of, of your equipment. And on the next slide, you see a summary of rotor maintenance. There's an example uh, of a rotor with heavy frustrations, salt frustrations. Um, as I said, when you when you observe spilling, always clean the rotor and the lid immediately to avoid uh, to avoid um, uh, to avoid these these crustations, these heavy crustations, which can might be uh, re, uh, might might be cleaned with a with a brush with a plastic brush. So you can. Fill the boreholes with water, of course, mm -hmm. but I wouldn't. I would not recommend to soak the whole rotor in water. So only fill uh, the boreholes because the water might remain uh, in the openings. And so, and after you cleaned everything, um, the rotor can be dried with a soft cloth again. Um, as I said, those stubborn stain can be removed with plastic scrub or, or test tube brushes, um, but it would be better to not let it come <laughs> mm -hmm. to those heavy, uh, uh, heavy crustaceans. If they will corrode, of course, uh, the rotor. Check your rotor um, and the rotor lid um, on a regular basis for the need of uh, maintenance. Um, this is what I strongly recommend and uh, what is often forgotten in the rush <laughs> mm -hmm. of everyday uh, laboratory life. I exactly. Say, yeah. And uh, these are definitely uh, very important information and, uh, and great information. Thanks for uh, sharing. Because um, I think it's also better to do uh, inspect the rotor and also maintain the centrifuge one time more and one time less yes. and definitely we have to take care of the centrifuge of course or the centrifuge will take care of us i mean you will you expect those uh, devices to run Forever. often seven days a week yeah. <laughs> uh 12 12 hours a day or so and uh, of course you have to take care of your equipment i mean you wouldn't uh, expect your car to drive <laughs> 200,000 kilometers without changing the oil mm. or uh, bring it to an inspection from time to time. Exactly. And, and um, same is true for, for centrifuges um, where high forces are applied and 
Yeah. Exactly. And really, thank you for sharing your best practices. But um, stating all this, so these were some of the uh, challenges in the lab and some of the best practices uh, which we can provide. But we wanted to hear from you as well, because you are directly in the lab. And um, what are the common challenges that you face in your day-to-day -day basis in your uh, lab? It could be uh, uh, about the reproducible results, it could be about contamination of a transfer of the samples, could be about protocols or even handling between the devices, or more common could be sample spillage or any other. So we would be happy to hear from you. Uh, what are your common challenges? Okay, so we see the result and thank you very much for uh, voting. So we see that of almost 33% it's a mix between not having a reproducible results and also uh, transfer of protocols. Uh, we are glad that we covered the protocol transfer um, between the different centrifuges in the lab, between microbes and also uh, multipurpose. But Christian, for the reproducible results, can you share uh, from your experience? <laughs> I mean, there are, of course, a million um things that can influence uh, the results. I would say when it comes to centrifugation, of course, use the same temperature, use uh, the same RCF. Um, when you are switching between a different uh, protocols so that you are sure that um, no matter which centrifuge in, in your lab is free and you can put your samples in, that you, you, that you always apply the same force, of course. Mm -hmm. um, don't be in a rush, pre-cool your centrifuge if you need uh, four degrees. Um, all these things, of course, can influence um, uh, your results. Mm. And yeah, of course, um, don't be in a rush, um, but uh, don't, if you wait too long after centrifugation, of course, um, this might not be too good <laughs> exactly. as well. Exactly, well said. And also we see um, around 22 to 24 percentage are also split between contamination issues and also sample spillage. And for sample spillage, exactly, we also discussed uh, always to fill up to the maximum limit of the, of the tube. Yes, um, you have to consider the maximum, the maximum filling volume of your vessel, of course. Um, and uh, because, well, I have some vessel here, because if you fill it, always consider that in the rotor, you have an angle. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so uh, maximum filling volume is important uh, to avoid spillage close. Uh, close the, the vessels, of course, very carefully, be sure that they are really closed. And when talking about maximum filling volume, of course, you have to take care that you do not, uh, that, that you um, use the minimum filling volume, because most, uh, most vessels do have a minimum filling volume as well. Otherwise, um, they would just uh, crush in the centrifuge. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the first level uh, of security when talking about aerosols, when talking about spilling and so is always uh, the vessel. Yeah, mm -hmm. and this is something that you might uh, forget. So um, if you're in a rush and say, well, I have this much of my sample and I have to fill it in the in the tube. Well, you're always um, at a risk, of course. 
exactly. So maximum exactly. filling volume, minimum filling volume. And of course, um, vessels have different, um, can can withstand different forces. I mean, a glass vessel, of course, cannot be spun at the same speed or cannot withstand the same force um, as these uh, polypropylene uh, tubes. Yeah. And also we see that uh, roughly 24% is also for others. So um, it would be um, also nice to know what are your challenges if you also write in the, uh, in the Q&A. So we can also answer this uh, live. So now maybe we will go to the last chapter, which is uh, Q&A session. Thank you, Sugish and Kirsten. That was such a great presentation and really interesting with the poll results as well. Um, we have a few questions from the audience. If anyone else has a question, please feel free to post this in the questions box that you can find at the bottom of your screen. So the first question I've got for you um, is about rotor maintenance. Um, what about very well-kept rotors that are also very old? Do rotors have a limited lifetime? Well, usually rotors do have a limited lifetime um, because they have to endure during their lifetime high forces. They have to withstand those high forces. Um, usually the manufacturers date the lifetime of their rotors um, in the operating manual. For Ebendorf centrifuges like the 5418 or 5420R, the rotors do have an unlimited lifetime, but the bigger the centrifuge, of course, and the higher the forces, and those rotors have a so-called service lifetime. And this means um, that it cannot be guaranteed that the material um, can withstand the stress. Um, if the rotors are really well kept, I would recommend um, to have a professional rotor inspection by a service technician. Eppendorf offers uh, those kind of, of service and they and these service technicians, they can tell you if it's still safe to use your old rotor. Um, that would be uh, the best practice, I would. Great. Thank you. That's really useful to know. Um, and you mentioned um, using mild reagents to clean the rotors, but um, we need to disinfect our rotors and want to autoclave them. Is that possible? Yes, the majority of rotors are autoclavable at uh, 121 degrees um, for 20 minutes. Please check in the manual, in the rotor manual, um, to be really sure the lids, of course, but never autoclave your rotor with the lid on. <laughs> uh, please always take the lid off before autoclaving, of course. And the same is true for the buckets and for the adapters. They can be autoclaved as well if this is necessary. Um, I mean, if you need to disinfect, you can always consider to spray it, um, as we mentioned in the video before, with ethanol, 70% ethanol, spray the rotors, the buckets, the adapters, um, and then uh, wipe it after, uh, after a few minutes. That would be, um, that would be a safe uh, decontamination uh, practice as well. So, but yes, Rotors are autoclavable. Most rotors are autoclavable. Um, you can find all the information uh, in in the operating manual or or well, any um, uh, manufacturer will be happy to answer your question. If you have a question there, ask your sales okay. rep also. Thanks. 
Um, and since we were just talking about buckets and adapters, we, we have a question that is, what is the difference between buckets and adapters? Well, you have a bucket uh, where you put, uh, which you can put on the um, on the swing bucket rotors, of course, on in the bucket, which is really just a bucket. Um, you can use different vessels. So, and for each vessel, you would need a different adapter. It's a difference if I spin um, a, a 50 ml conical or um, a 5 ml conical. So you, you, if you place it in, the, in, the, in a big bucket, then of course the small uh, tube will turn around. So you have the bucket and in the bucket you need the special adapter that fits your vessel type. Great, thanks. Also uh, covered about the universal rotor. Yes. So where we, we can have like, um, if you have different uh, um, vessels like these, you can also use one adapter for yes. the different uh, consumables. Adapter is always an insert that you would put that you would put in uh, in the bucket to spin different uh, different vessel types. Thanks. Um, we've got a question um, about if there are any disadvantages of centrifugation. Um, for example, cells are exposed to a very high gravitational force, which can alter the cell structure. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, of course, that can happen. And depending on your application, of course, if you want to work with the cells afterwards, I mean, sometimes you just would want to isolate RNA or DNA, then it's of course not such an issue, but it's always, um, uh, yeah, you have to find the best ratio of time, of course, um, and, uh, and result. So um, when, when you want to work with your cells and you, and you are observing that they are um, stressed or the, um, the membranes are somehow uh, broken or so, you, can, you have to adapt um, the, the applied G-force. And well, and this is always, as I said, it's, it's a ratio between how much time do I want to spend and, um, uh, and how, and what, what can I uh, endure in loss of sample loss or cell loss. So, and this is something that can be very specific for each application, even for each uh, cell type. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and this is something um, uh, you will, of course, you will have to find out for your application which which is the best G-force that can be applied um, without uh, well without uh, the protocol taking forever. Because of course, you mm -hmm. can wait for the natural gravitational force to <laughs> to separate yourself from the medium or, or whatever. Um, but of course, th that will take uh, forever. And uh, this is something you have to to make sure for yourself what can i yeah, yeah. what works for me yeah. yeah we can always adjust between the acceleration especially between the braking ramps yes. so as you take forward okay. and maybe one two three so yeah uh, we need to do the right balance yes and to establish a really good protocol um i mean yeah it takes it can take it can take time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah. It's uh, I guess for everyone to figure it out for what's best for them. Um, 
The next question is about uh, forces. Um, is the RCF the same as G? Well, the relative centrifugal force that is applied is, um, well, it depends on the uh, revolutions per minute that is put on the uh, on your samples. And the R RCF is always a multiple of G. I mean, mm -hmm. G, the gravitation gravitational force. So if we apply um, one G to the sample, or only one G, then you will put just put it on the table and wait <laughs> natural gravitational force to do its work. But when we apply, when we centrifuge our samples, we put a relative centrifugal force upon the samples that is a multiple of the gravitational Earth force. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. And a follow-up question is, um, do we have to fill in all the slots in the roto buckets or is it okay if they're just opposite each other? They have to be opposite of each other, other well uh, and always well balanced, of course. So that the stress that is, I don't know whether it's a fixed angle rotor or a swing bucket rotor, that the stress that is put on the rotor is equally, um, is, yeah, is equally on 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 each side yeah. so you don't have to always put uh, to fill all <laughs> positions but you have to be sure that you uh, that you balance equally um yeah with the same weight of course not only volume but with the same weight <laughs> <laughs> so don't put uh, uh water on one side to balance your heavy sword <laughs> <laughs> Um, sample on the other side with the same volume. No, mm. it has to be the same weight, of course. Exactly. We've got a few questions left. Um, I don't know if you want to go through, there's about six left. Do you want to go through all of them or just um, address um, address it offline? We can, uh, we will have a look, I think. Um, okay. Afterwards, we will answer every question. Okay. Um, I, can just, I can skip some and go to, yes. um, so there is one that I think a lot of people are wondering is, um, is centrifuging for a long time at a slow speed equivalent to centrifuging for a short time at a high speed? Um, yes, <laughs> we can <laughs> say that you have, of course, um, try to find out um, uh, the speed difference. Um, and I mean, if you, there are two things, you, if you're using the same vessel um, and the same sample volume, the same filling height, you can say it's equivalent. And of course, um, you can you can uh, calculate the time that you might need. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. But yeah. So yeah, it's, so, it's it's the balance, right, at the end. Um, yes. So I don't know if you could, if you want to have a special time, so time x. Um, you can tr try for the first time to multiply the time on the centrifuge that you know, known centrifuge, yeah, and then um, uh, with a with a uh, ratio of the RCF um, RCF values. So divide the, the RCF of your known uh, centrifuge with the one, with the RCF you are you want to use now, and then you get um, you get an estimation of time that you can try for the first time. Oh. 
then of course you have to adapt to, to, to see if the um, yeah if you if the results are comparable. But of course, lower forces mean longer centrifugation times. And this is the different rotors as well. I mean, swing bucket rotors usually use lower centrifugal, uh, uh, yeah, usually reach lower uh, centrifugal forces. So you would need more time um, to separate your samples than when you use a fixed angle rotor and can apply very high forces. Um, I've got one question left for you. Um, anyone who asked a question that we didn't get to, um, we'll send all the questions to Sugesh and Kirsten and they can look at them offline and answer you. Um, so the one remaining question is, what are some sources of vibrations? If everything is balanced, why would a large centrifuge still vibrate? <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, it's a big centrifuge, it, of course, it does have a, a, a motor, and if you're using the cooling system, it has a compressor, of course, and, um, well, the newest generation of centrifuges are best engineered, and they are, they really, uh, only, there are really low vibrations, but every material, and I'm, uh, and we're talking about rotors here, as you use a rotor, and this is of a material, most rotors are of aluminum, has a so-called eigenfrequency. Um, and this is, this is just physics. <laughs> they have an eigenfrequency at a special um, revolutions per minute. It's mostly mm, around 600 to, uh, to 1000 G. And there you have vibrations. And uh, this is normal. This is physics, and you cannot get rid of that. This is just the material, um, the character of each material. And uh, it depends also on the form of the rotor, so on mm -hmm. the shape of the rotor, this eigenfrequency. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you very much for answering all these questions. Um, and that brings us to the end of our seminar today. If you've enjoyed this seminar and would like to view the video recording, please visit the seminars page on bitesizebio.com. So thank you again, Sugis and Kirsten, for a very illuminating presentation and a great discussion afterwards. And thank you to our sponsor, Eppendorf. And finally, thanks to you, the audience, for taking the time to attend and listen in. So until next time, good luck in your research and goodbye from all of us at Eppendorf and Bitesize Bio. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Listen In from Bite Size Bio. To view the full presentation of this webinar or to browse the Listen In series, please see the episode description for links. Finding the right mentor can make all the difference in your research journey. But what if you don't have one? Look no further than Mentors at Your Benchside, the podcast that offers curated advice from experienced researchers on lab skills, techniques, and career progression. With short, easy-to-access episodes, you can get the help you need to succeed in the lab. Visit bitesizebio.com forward slash podcasts or search for Mentors at Your Benchside in your podcast app to subscribe and get help and advice from seasoned scientists.